Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never quite blow your mind. Maybe we never enlighten you. Maybe we never transform into a pulsing, gooey blob of podcast mass that (laughs) you then shove into your vaginal ear opening (laughs) in order to fully experience us. But hopefully you just have a good time listening. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) So tonight we are continuing our discussion on body horror. And if you haven't guessed yet, we are doing that with the 1983 film Videodrome. Now, before we move forward with anything, I just want to apologize for any audio issues from last week on our Incredible Melting Man episode. We had some skipping issues, had to do a lot of cutting around it, cut out some things, still had some skips left in because they were necessary. (laughs) Think we have the problem fixed now. We'll see. This is kind of a test run, unfortunately, because the best test is actually doing an episode. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Uh, So fingers crossed. Hopefully this will turn out just fine. I hate the video drum. Has to be a test. But either way. I'm by, we're sorry, and we hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so with that being said, yes, Videodrome came out in 1983. It uh, was written and directed by David Cronenberg, who grew up in Toronto, uh, where he got a degree in literature after switching over from a science degree. I'm not quite sure what area of science. He did a bunch of TV movies, actually, before first really getting noticed with his film Shivers, which I adore, went on to do films such as The Brood, Scanners, The Dead Zone, The Fly, you know, known as basically the god of body horror, the the body (laughs) horror master, right? He also worked as an actor, having appeared in films like Nightbreed, which I should think is fantastic in, and Jason Axbury has a fun cameo. Uh, He's done some TV, including Star Trek Discovery, which he's currently doing. Uh, which I have not watched. I'm not a big Star Trek fan, but but I hear he's very good in it. Yay! <laughs> and uh, and his film Crimes of the Future is currently available in theaters. This is actually the film that inspired the idea for the topic for this month. So go check that out if you haven't seen it yet. Videodrome stars James Woods as Max. You know I, I don't really want to spend a lot of time on James Woods, so I'm just gonna say I think he's one of the worst people on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's unfortunate uh, because you know he. Like, you know, Republican, Democrat, whatever, but I will not stand for, like, a hardcore, hateful MAGA people, and that's yeah. what James Woods has become. Ew. And it's just very unfortunate, because I, I do think that he's a good actor. I think he's very good in Videodrome. I really liked him, liked being the word there. I really liked him in the movie Vampires from John Carpenter. Uh, so it, it's unfortunate, you know? Yeah. He's a prolific actor. It's in a lot of stuff. He's a good actor, but he kind of is a douchebag now. So. <laughs> Uh, let's see, it also stars Debbie Harry as Nikki, uh, who was actually a Playboy bunny in the 60s. 
Uh, she then had a singing career that really took off when she formed the band Blondie uh, with Chris Stein. And they were huge, basically, yep, back then. Because Blondie's amazing. <laughs> they are. And uh, let's see, she also appears in films like Tales from the Dark Side, the movie where she stars in the wraparound for it. We've talked about that here on the podcast mm -hmm. before, as well as the film Body Bags. And you can see her in a few other things as well. Uh, it also stars Sandra Smits as Bianca Oblivion, who she appears in the film uh, The Pit, which is that which is that film with the little boy and his monsters that's kind of <laughs> interesting, uh, as well as the TV series uh, Street Legal Traders has done a lot of TV. And it also stars Peter Dvorsky as Harlan, who also, film, who also appears in Cronenberg's The Dead Zone, another amazing movie. Those that haven't seen Videodrome, you know, it's honestly quite a difficult film to describe without spoiling anything. So what I will say is it's basically about this local TV producer named Max. You know, he's got one of those little local TV stations and he discovers this show uh, called Videodrome that he and his partner Harlan have captured on satellites. Like they've captured it streaming on satellites and they don't know where it's coming from or anything like that. But it's a show video drone, which is basically like a snuff thing, you know, yep. torturing and murdering people for real on camera. The huge. And, the huge. And, <laughs> and the deeper that Max gets into trying to discover the origins of Videodrome, the more he finds himself hallucinating and television invading his mind <laughs> uh, is kind of maybe the best way to describe it. But, I think that's a really good summary. Yeah, so we are going to be spoiling everything that we can with this film, so if you have not seen it, please go check it out. Uh, it is streaming on Tubi at this time. It's also well worth your rental dollars, in my opinion. Uh, I, I would agree if you're big into, like, body horror and you like Cronenberg stuff. It's a well-made film. Right, and, and you as someone who is not into body horror and therefore not very into Cronenberg, even you can agree, yeah. like, it's it's a solid movie despite that. <laughs> I can appreciate what it is, and I'm glad I don't have to watch it again. <laughs> right, exactly. So, so no, I, I think it's a great movie. I think it's one of Cronenberg's best. Um, and, and, I, and to be honest with you... Uh, on this rewatch, it has gone up my list as well because of some of the themes in the film. And you kind just of <laughs> like it because it's a smart movie. Well, it is a smart movie. We're getting into that in a sec, but um, Brood is the best. The Brood is still my favorite, Cronenberg. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so we have our usual spoiler-free content, so uh, we'll let you know when we're about to get into the spoilers. Uh, so just really quickly, our usual uh, tagline versus the film, so just the tagline when we thought of the movie overall. So the tagline for Videodrome was, first it controls your mind, then it destroys your body. <laughs> so... What do you think of the tagline, and what do you think of Videodrome overall? You know what? I love that tagline. I think that it's, like, the perfect amount of, like, slightly cheesy, but it's overall just really fun in a way that Videodrome is not. Um. Yeah, I think it depends on your definition of fun, but continue. That's fair. <laughs> I, look, Videodrome is one of those movies where I've learned, especially, like, doing this podcast and being married to Matt, where I can look at it critically and go, this is a really well-made film, and I get why people love it. You're already better than like half the audiences yeah. out there uh, no offense to anyone but like yeah it, it's I, okay to not like something but still appreciate what it is yeah <laughs> i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that i'm married to you yeah i never want to see this again this is like a mashup of like some of chris's worst themes of like sex and violent sex and body horror and i'm just 
It's well done. Yeah. I'm, and it's smart too. It's there's so many elements of this that like I get why people like it, but it all encompasses into making a film I don't want to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's totally not your jam. It's it's not the kind of thing someone like you watches for for fun, right? It's too <laughs> smart. It's too sexy. Yeah, and I mean, look, you it's know, tits everywhere. <laughs> Well, hey, we're not, neither of us is complaining about tits, but that's <laughs> yeah, true. But look, I mean, you know, it's definitely not a film for everyone. You know, no. this is what I find interesting about Videodrome, and some of you are going to gawk at me saying this, and and hopefully I will make clear my opinion on this as we go. But uh, you know, Videodrome is interesting to me because it, it's widely regarded as one of Cronenberg's most cerebral and confusing films, mm-hmm. but. On, on revisiting it this week, and maybe it's because, you know, I've watched it like four times now in the last few days, on doing these revisits, I've actually come to the belief that Videodrome might be one of Cronenberg's actually simplest movies. And, <laughs> and, 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 and hopefully I will explain why to you all as we do this, but, but I do think that, but, but the reason for that being is that I think that the themes in the film are very strong, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that the film actually does a really great job of kind of getting across what it is. But for those who, you know, maintain like this movie is confusing as hell and I don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, that, that's it is al- that also, it is that also. And, and that's very understandable because, you know, Cronenberg describes like, this is one of the few films he's ever made where he was actually working on the script while they were shooting, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's something that he claims he doesn't usually do. But for Videodrome, it was kind of one of those movies where, you know, it almost sort of like grabbed him, like inspiration would grab him basically. And there would be days where, you know, he had to, he had to continuously remind the film crew of, Hey, this is going to happen sometimes on this movie. And it's not because I don't know what I'm doing or the project is struggling. I just have a better idea, you know? So he would, he, so he would have days where he would come in and the film crew's gotten like all set up, you know, the set's ready to go. And he'd come in and be like, yeah, you know what? Actually, uh, we're not going to shoot this scene here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that makes sense for this film. For what Mm. this film is, I think that it does make sense for it to grow more organically, like, as it's being done. And I can kind of get why when this movie came out, it maybe seemed more cerebral. But considering where we're we're at now with technology, I think that's why it feels more straightforward. (laughs) I think it was just ahead of its time. Well, it was ahead of its time. And, and, you know, so originally, you know, Cronenberg cut the movie down to like 75 minutes. Oh, shit. And and now it runs at an hour and 28 minutes, you know. So so when the film was first presented through the studio to test audiences, a lot of the cards came back of like, I fucking hate your movie. This is terrible, (laughs) you know. Uh, Because at that point, it was so confusing. Like, they had cut out so much of what you know, was really necessary that it wasn't until, you know, Cronenberg put all that stuff back in that it was like, okay, I think it makes a little more sense now. And even then, not completely because they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants with some of the stuff, right? Yeah. But I do agree, like, this is why I really have found a deeper adoration for this movie is it, it was ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Very much so. You know, I like, you could claim that Cronenberg basically prophetized our entire cultural atmosphere when it comes to media (laughs) uh, with Videodrome. (laughs) And and it's honestly very scary (laughs) uh, just how accurately he did that. But for the film itself, before we get into spoilers, you know, I'll just say, like, I I, I love this film. It's it's very dark. It's very grim. I think one of the better things about it is just how 
much it unnerves you. You know, even if you're a hardcore horror fan, and even if the violence itself doesn't quite get to you, I, I just think that there's something working with Videodrome that that is just on another level you know yeah uh with everything with everything between the cinematography and the score and just the way that Cronenberg so perfectly meshes uh reality and hallucinations and all that stuff it just there is something about it that just burrows deep into your brain (laughs) (laughs) whips its dick out and just you know just it's dick gun (laughs) whips its fleshy dick gun out you'll know what I'm talking about if you've seen the movie and just just video drums all over you, you know, well, and it's. <laughs> I think that might be the worst thing you've ever said. It might be, um, but but that but that's like the feeling is it's just so full of dread. Like there's so much dread inherent in video drum that, and, and I and I think so much truth in the movie. Yeah. That that it's really hard to walk away from it and not just feel haunted by it in a sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> and one other thing is that you know I. This film kind of came around at a time, which we're going to get into in a minute. It came out at around a time where violence in media was being heavily discussed, right? And and its effects on the population. Oh, really? And oh, look at that! We're back. We're right back here, forty years later, again. Oh. Um, thank you. We never left. We never really left, truthfully. That was a heavy topic. Like you would see on talk shows all the time, like people talking about this kind of thing, right? And I, I, the thing that I love about Videodrome is it almost kind of feels like Cronenberg saying something like, um. Oh, you think, you know, sex and violence negatively affects our culture. Well, I'm going to make you the weirdest, the sexually weirdest, (laughs) most violent, you know, movie, (laughs) movie that you can conjure up in your fucking brain (laughs) and, and just throw it on to you all, you know? And so anyway, all right, so we're getting into the spoilers. Uh, So again, if you have not seen Videodrome, please go check it out. It is streaming on Tubi. Otherwise, well worth the rental dollars. Let's just start off with that and just the very basis of the movie itself, which is, you know, our our thoughts on the theme of sex and violence in TV and just a little setup for it. Uh, again, the, you know, this was a heavy conversation going on around the time. The film itself is a little bit inspired by uh, the Canadian philosopher Marshall McLuhan, who one of his more popular theories was this idea that the medium is the message, which essentially means that the medium itself affects the mind and not necessarily the message inherent in the media. So so basically saying, you know, if you have a television, if you're watching TV, mm-hmm. your mind is being affected. So it's not necessarily about the various messages of what's coming through the TV, mm-hmm. but the TV itself is changing you. So that that was kind of his theory. And so that was something that interested Cronenberg. So, you know, yeah. Cronenberg's approach to the movie was basically trying trying to work out for himself, really, of what do I think? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I think? Do I think that violence and sex on TV cause these things in real life <laughs> or do I not? You know, and Videodrome is kind of like his fictional exploration of that (laughs) trying to figure it all out yeah you know and i think that it's something that doesn't that honestly i don't think it has an easy answer because like if if we're looking at straight black and white i don't think that sex and violence in television affects people encourages people to do these things or what have you because i feel like that negates free will 
Yeah. You know, and I think that's a large part about Videodrome. But I think that the actual topic is much more gray. It's a much more gray area than anybody really wants to acknowledge. And I think that's, at least for me, what Videodrome is getting at. Because, look, this movie has so much sex that's not sex. Because, like, there is pornography everywhere in this film. Mm. Like, the first time that we really meet Max, after we do the Friday video, which is my favorite part of the movie, which is his wake-up call video, which, personally, I think sets... <laughs> That's your favorite part of the movie. It is my favorite part of the movie, and for the sole reason that your opening for any movie, I feel like, really sets your tone for everything. Agreed. Yeah, and so starting off with this video call from Friday is amazing. Anywho, that's not the point. But well, no, 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 no. I, I want to stick with that for a second because because you're right. It does set up, you know, it, yes, the, a good film, the opening scene essentially tends to establish the tone of the movie, mm-hmm. the theme of the movie, all that kind of stuff. And this opening scene that you do get with that, you, you have two different things going on here. One is you have the idea of a, a video message, right? Yeah. You know, which which was... St- you know, which was not like a common thing at the time. Mm. And and so you have this idea of a video message and the idea of communication through video. Yeah. You know, that was something that we weren't, you know, despite having film and TV, that, that was still a bit of a foreign concept, you know. Mm. And, and again, talking about the way that Cronenberg predicted the future, essentially. <laughs> I mean, that's 100% what our culture is now. You know, yeah. you get a, what's the first thing a lot of us do when we get up in the morning? We get onto our media, we look at videos communicating things to us, and, exactly. and that's how we wake up, you know? And so, so you have that going on. And on the other end, you have our first vision of Max, which is basically <laughs> this dude who's just disgusting shit pig. Well, well, a disgusting <laughs> shit pig. But he's completely uh, surrounded by just like he's 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 living in this womb of like darkness and technology, right? Mm-hmm. Like our first image of him is is asleep in this dark room with the video, and all around him is just like you know half put together tech and like Atari controllers and shit mm-hmm. like that, you know. So he is he is a man who is on the precipice of moving completely into sort of this like cold technological world where that is his everything, really. Yeah, and on top of that, you know, when we get to meet Max, it's a lot about basically 2D women because the first time we meet, I think her name is technically um, Birdie, and it's, play, uh, it's played by Julie Connor, and she's gorgeous, and I love her. But, you know, she's in the video, and then we cut to the kitchen scene while he's preparing for his first meeting where, like, he's looking at porn stills while eating cold pizza left over from the night before. Mm. You know, there's naked women on his walls. Throughout this entire movie, we kind of have this idea of porn and nudity and sex as kind of a background thing. Um, I, I would say it goes further than that. The to me the the idea of him looking at the stills while you know eating greasy <laughs> pizza and just being a total like as you what do you call him a disgusting he's a, he's pig, a disgusting chip pig. His yeah. everything's dirty. It's so gross. Yeah, and, and to me the the point of that is to imply a is to is to basically imply the idea of those two things going together. Mm-hmm. You know, like to me it implies sex as like junk food you know sex and violence as junk food where you know he's basically mixing the two right Mm -hmm. you know in the same moment that he's looking at pornography he's devouring greasy pizza (laughs) you know like that to me that's not a coincidence that that's Cronenberg trying to say like in our culture that's what these things are 
generally perceived as yeah. and and used as you know like the outside public views them as junk food but we ourselves also sort of consume them in a similar way so we, we do i mean and let's be honest like sex sells sex is everywhere as you look in magazines and you've got sexy women and sexy men and i feel like video drum does a really great job of just highlighting how much this stuff is kind of like thrown at us without us really paying attention to it and treated as business you know, the point of this is well, not treated as, like, an art form or anything like that. Well, because it is. When, yeah. you, when you work in the film and TV industry, the one of the first things you'll learn is sex and violence sell. Yeah. That, that is a motto of the industry. That is a motto of almost any, <laughs> any book you will read on screenwriting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Sex and violence sells, and it's true. Most people want to watch something with at least a little bit of one of those two things in it. You know, mm-hmm. not because we're obsessed with either, but because... You know, with TV and film being escapism, we want to see things that we don't see in our day-to-day lives, you know? And and some of you are going like, well, I have, I fuck every day. I see sex all the time. I don't mean like that, you know? When when we talk about, when we talk about seeing things we don't see every day with sex, you know, I mean just like sexual things that you don't experience. And Mm -hmm. and that can be as simple as another person, you know? Like, so. We like to be titillated. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But, but going back to your other thing, you know, I, I, I don't think that violence and sex cause violence and sex. I don't, <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, Cronenberg sort of indirectly kind of answers the question a little bit, although he sort of describes it as like, well, I put myself in a box because it's not truly what I believe, but, <laughs> but I, I do not think that that is the result of it. And I do not think that that is the cause of those things. You know, I've written, I've been writing papers on this shit since I was a kid in the nineties, you know, when it was a really big deal then with everyone screaming about, Oh, video games, you know, they're going to destroy our culture and whatever. And you know, the fact of the matter is the, the human species is a violent species. We're a violent species. (laughs) We're a sexual species. And you know, those things have been inherent in us since the beginning you know, as as Billy Loomis famously says in Scream, movies do not create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative, you know? Yes. So, so the best argument that I think anyone can make is that, you know, if I see... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I if I see Max cut someone's head off with a giant pair of scissors, maybe some psycho out there says, you know what? I think I'm going to do my next kill with a giant pair of scissors. Mm -hmm. That's feasible that that I can get behind and say, yeah, that happens. You Mm -hmm. know, that we we see in our culture, there are shooters all over the place that are inspired by other shooters. Right. Yeah. That's not the same thing, but it's still spread through the media. And so I I get that side of the argument, but actually saying that these things drive us to violence yeah. and sex Fuck no. is, is just completely false. No, and I- one of my, <laughs> I think part of the case in that argument with Max here is that, you know, we understand early on, like Max is already this person before Videodrome ever comes into his life. Mm-hmm. You know, Max is already a person who consumes sex like junk food 
who who is looking at these things while he eats pizza and that kind of stuff. He he is already a, a sexual deviant, <laughs> so to speak, you know, because he he's hitting on you know Nikki right in the middle of this talk show because she's wearing red and turns him on, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's pinching the ass of the coffee girl yeah. at the studio just because he feels like he can, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's already this guy. I would argue that Nikki's a better example of this than mm. Max is, because for me, Max is fucking white bread. Like Max is just a basic bitch. Like, dude who just kind of, like, kind of gets off on this stuff, but, you know, he watches something like Videodrome, and in his head, he's going, these are actors, this isn't real, he has that disconnect. Whereas Nikki, Nikki, before she even watches Videodrome, isn't a pain. Mm. Like, that's her thing. She's already, like, into all of this stuff, and so really, Videodrome is an inspiration more for Nikki, I think, than for Max, because... Why not? Shaking your well, head at me. Well, I don't. I don't think it's more inspiration for either of them because, That's fair. especially, especially considering that Max is completely devoured by video drums. So, like, yeah, so because Max is weak. So, no, I, I don't think that either of them are more inspired mm-hmm. by it. I, I, but I think to your point with Nikki, it, it's really just making the case of like they're already these people. Yeah. You know, if anything, it's it's an inspiration, mm-hmm. but it's not. But it doesn't create them. It doesn't it, make them that way. You yeah. Know? It doesn't so, set them down that path. They were already there. Right, exactly. And and so, but, you know, Videodrome itself, it is a film that's questioning this throughout, which I think is what makes it really interesting, you know, especially for uh, for people like ourselves who, who do stand on the side of no, that violence and sex immunity does not create those things in reality. But Videodrome is questioning that throughout, which is really interesting. Like, you know, I love how I really adore the scene where where Max, you know, has the gun that he buys after, you know, becoming deeper into Videodrome. Like, he doesn't own a gun before this. Yeah. But he buys a gun getting deeper in the Videodrome, you know, kind of implying of, like, oh, he's getting more paranoid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, him shoving the gun into, like, his... (laughs) His vaginal, stomach vagina? His, vag- his stomach vagina, which, you know, credit to Rick Baker and his effects team for even throwing in, like, a little bit of slime in there, too, Ugh. to just really give it that extra... Vag. Extra vag effect. Um, you know, him shoving the gun in there, I love the symbolism of that, because to me that's this idea of, like, quite literally ingesting yeah. the violence. You know, like, quite literally ingesting it and, like, making it a part of your DNA. You know, because he shoves the gun in there, and then it's just in there. <laughs> you know, the violence is just in him at that point. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I think is part of the brilliance of this movie and the brilliance that we have. This great line where, you know, Max has this other woman, Masha, played by Lynn Gorman, who, you know, provides him with other porn for his channel. And he's asking her at a restaurant to help him find Videodrome. And she has a response to Max of why Videodrome is dangerous. And that's because it has something that he lacks. It has a philosophy behind it. Mm. And I think that's what we're kind of getting at with some of, like, this sex and violence and media is that it's not the acts or anything like that, but potentially the philosophies, you know, the the outlooks that come with some of this stuff. Because, right. you know, I agree with you. The, the statement you had with the the Canadian philosopher, that it's how we consume the media. When we read a book, we have to think about the words that we're reading. It causes us to think more. But with television, 
you know, with stuff like that, it's a little bit easier to digest. And so when we come across things like video throne, which potentially has a philosophy and a message, you know, it can cause us to have a stomach vagina that we shove violence into. Well, well, the thing with the philosopher, you know, what he was basically getting at is that, like, the television itself is a weapon. Yes. You know, I mean, that that's and, – and, and, you know, to us now, many of us would look at that idea and say, well, that's stupid, right? But you got to understand that in the early 80s, and, of course, when this philosopher was alive, he died in 1980, I believe, the whole television world was still a relatively new thing. I mean, yes, we'd had TV – in our household for a couple decades now, but you know, just just kind of like similar to the internet and social media, you know, those things started in what the early two thousands, late nineties or something, mm-hmm. and, and it's only now that we're like kind of really beginning to question a lot of the effects of it. Yeah, it, it was the same thing with TV. You know, it's like nobody really questioned it. I think right away, mm-hmm. at least not to the degree that they started to decades later. Um, you know, this got to the point where like you know you'd have your your parents like i i lived through this right like your parents telling you you know kids of oh don't get too close to the tv because you know they thought there was like radiation that was gonna <laughs> you know melt your brain or something and and that's kind of the idea here is that you know this philosopher looked at media as a weapon and what videodrome is doing is it's talking about the show videodrome itself as a weapon right yeah. talking about media as a weapon and that's what she means with that comment of you know if it has a purpose and if it has a philosophy, if it is trying to do this to you, it is it, being weaponized. Yeah. And and so, you know, it's why uh, the, the show itself, I think, is so interesting and why I honestly kind of this. OK, this is where shit starts to get really like meta and <laughs> and confusing is, you know, I think what's brilliant about the movie is that. Cronenberg, by by naming the film itself Videodrome, mm-hmm. and by opening, you know, on <laughs> on a television, you know, on this message from Nikki, and then having, you know, this like little commercial of like uh, taking TV with you, like Civic TV, take it with you everywhere you go, or whatever the line is, um, take it with you to bed, take it with you to bed. Uh, by opening on all of that, it almost feels like. Cronenberg is immediately inserting us into the experience of Videodrome, right? Yeah. Like, like you know, like the film we are watching is Videodrome. It is the video circus. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? That makes my like, head hurt. I get what you're saying. I'm not disagreeing with you, but it also makes my head hurt. Ba- basically, basically saying that, like, so, so if you consider that the effects of the show Videodrome in the film if you consider that that is supposed to have an effect, that that is supposed to change you, infect you, that kind of thing, what what I think is brilliant is that when you really think about it, Cronenberg is setting it up that his movie will also is, is doing the same thing. That his movie is Videodrome. <laughs> <laughs> Stepping aside for a for a minute from the idea that Videodrome is Videodrome. Is <laughs> Which breaks my brain saying it. I get it. The thing that I really do love about Videodrome is that aside from The Brood, which, you know, like Cronenberg always does very personal movies. Mm -hmm. Like when you really watch his stuff, like he doesn't do a lot of like grand adventures or anything like that. Like he really does personal existential stuff. And, you know, The Brood was a film that was all about kind of him getting his feelings out about his divorce and the pain of that and everything. And and Videodrome, I think, is arguably maybe his second most kind of uh existential looking into himself movie because i really do think that he is working out things within himself 
of trying to answer the question of violence in media mm-hmm. and you know it's why i love the the earlier scenes where max is you know kind of going over these different like softcore porn shows and him and the other producers are sitting around talking about like oh it's too soft you know mm-hmm. it's not it's not sexy like it doesn't turn me on you know because it's too soft and too nice so- it's too classy <laughs> it's and- too classy right going back to like the junk food idea like it's got to be like sloppy and, mm-hmm. and gross and like something that i don't just experience every day right like yeah you know like i'm like like that producer's probably thinking like I, I i'm gonna go home and have sex with my wife tonight but you know what i'm not gonna do is have a fucking orgy with a donkey and like all this kind of stuff <laughs> like <laughs> like you know and that's the thing is people are drawn to things that they don't see all the time and so mm-hmm. um so like by having that scene you know i almost imagine cronenberg sitting around like thinking about his own producers that he's worked with Although, you know, Cronenberg never had an issue with putting violence on media. <laughs> but, he's, but you know, sitting around and thinking, like, yeah, this is the conversation that's going on. Is, like, people sitting around and saying the audience needs more. Mm-hmm. The audience always wants more. It's why we had the, you know, I hate the label of it, but the quote-unquote torture porn era. Because that was basically a result of, you know, studios feeling like, well, the audience has seen everything. They need to see more. Mm-hmm. We need to get more violent, more bloody, darker grimmer you know like that that's where these things come from and so you know videodrome early on is kind of working through that of we are moving into this culture that needs more yeah wants to see more of this yeah i mean the way that i kind of see it is you know it is always the question even within movies of like what does the audience want to see and i feel like that's part of what cronenberg's working through as well of there is a lot of audience members who want, we want our popcorn stuff. We want our slashers, our Jasons, our Michaels, where we can just watch them slash and be bloody and not have to think about it. You know, whereas Cronenberg and other directors are a little bit more like this samurai dream porn we see in the beginning, where it's more classy. It's, it makes you think more. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that Cronenberg equates himself with the classy porn. I'm saying, <laughs> but he is the classy porn. But he's not the classy porn because kind of is the classy. <laughs> I mean, is he classier than a Friday Thirteenth film? Absolutely. It's but hard no, not to be. But no, I, he's not equating himself with 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 that. What I'm saying is, Cronenberg is working through with himself the very idea that the audience will not accept. Mm-hmm. the the classy softness the audience wants him to go hard yeah you know the audience wants him to show them things that they haven't seen before and it, and so i think he's reconciling with that idea you know of just like we have to continuously go further and further and and kind of you know thinking about the idea of like this is 1983 by 1990 i'm gonna have to be showing even more than this yeah you know that sort of thing <laughs> do you think then that cronenberg is is max in a situation whereas like the audience is oh, a little yeah. bit more like nikki where nikki wants you know nikki wants to be cut mickey nikki oh. wants the pain she oh. wants the pain oh definitely no no it, well, you know, I, I, I never I never say that a, a writer or a filmmaker is directly like the main character, you mm-hmm. know, because because the way we'd always say it is we're all the characters. Yeah. Um, but you can certainly you can certainly say that, yeah, there's a bit of Cronenberg in Max and just the and just the idea of, you know, he's putting himself in Max's shoes of walking through this territory. Right. Mm-hmm. Of of kind of investigating this sort of question. All right. Then. So then what do you think about Max and Nikki's relationship? Well, I think that. You know, on one hand, it's interesting. I mean, it's obviously interesting to watch, but... That's just because she's hot as fuck. 
She is hot <laughs> as fuck. I mean, Debbie Harry can do whatever she wants to me. Um, <laughs> to us, Matthew. To us. Yes, to us. That's what I meant. Uh, <laughs> I mean, okay, first of all, let, let's just look at this element of it, which is that, you know, they they are the sex element of the movie, right? Like yes. We, like, we have plenty of the violence, and we've talked about some of that, mm-hmm. but they, they are the sex element, and, you know... I think what's fun about her is she's almost an extension of Videodrome for Max. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the siren call, if you will. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you can you can certainly put her into a box of siren and femme fatale, but I think it's more complicated than that. It's you know, she she to me she's an extension of Videodrome, hence the reason she goes and auditions for it. But I think that you know, it's it's interesting to watch their relationship develop because. She, like Videodrome, and I think like you might have said, is is the one drawing Max into things, you know, helping to draw him in along with Videodrome mm-hmm. uh, and opening up. Like, in being an extension of it, she's basically, you know, this commentary from Cronenberg of, like, ex- expanding Max's uh, journey into <laughs> sex and pain blended together, right? Yeah. The, like, they, they are the, de- she is the definition of sex and violence as one mm-hmm. you know i think that's i think that's her main purpose is she is sex and violence in one just as videodrome is that you yeah know? and so i do love all these scenes of like them kind of experimenting like that i think like cronenberg even says in the commentary that you know he's basically like well if somebody was going to get you to uh experiment with violence and sex you know one of the first things they'd probably have you do is pierce their ear like <laughs> like my wife like my wife asked me to pierce her ear once so <laughs> why is that um, where you would go well, it makes sense. I mean, you know, if you're if you're just gonna start with somebody, I mean, like piercing an ear is a, a relatively normal thing. People do that, you know. People don't normally burn themselves with cigarettes on purpose. So that's fair. <laughs> so if you're gonna ask someone to do anything that's like pain beyond biting or something, then yeah, maybe piercing the ear. I don't know. But the point is, no whips the, and chains here. Only piercing. Well, obviously that too. Look, the point <laughs> is, is that she's an extension of Videodrome, and. Mm. It, and, you know, what's fun about all of the sex element of it is that, you know, the, the Videodrome itself is seducing you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like... It, it breathes. It, it's alive. The, the film itself breathes. Yeah. You know, like, the score and the sound design on the film breathe. Like, it's, it's supposed to make it feel like a living thing. Mm-hmm. So, again, going back to, like, the it has a philosophy idea, you know, Videodrome is literally supposed to feel like a living weapon. You know, it goes beyond technology yeah (laughs) uh like tech is alive tech has a purpose (laughs) that's kind of like the thing that's being toyed with here i feel like i'm all over the place but look video drums all over the place so (laughs) (laughs) it works but you know it's it's hypnotizing you like these scenes with the two of them together they're hypnotizing you they're drawing you further into this world of sex and violence and i think that ultimately like if you look at nikki as a seduction or, or i think that ultimately if you look at nikki as an extension of video drum it's this idea that, you know, sex and violence in media are seductive. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they are seducing Max. They're drawing him in and hypnotizing him the same way that they're seducing us as the audience, right? Uh, the same way that we're getting more and more confused and hypnotized, really, because something brilliant that Cronenberg does when it comes to the things like the hallucinations, like he has with Nikki uh, while they're fucking or, you know, <laughs> in other places, is that... You know, Cronenberg very firmly believes in when you have a hallucination in a film, you don't change the atmosphere. You don't change, like, the lighting and and, and essentially give 
signals to the audience that you're now in a hypnotic state, mm-hmm. you you keep it as real as possible. So so a lot of these moments, you know, they feel so real. And and something I love about when he is uh I don't really know if I want to use the word love, but something that's fascinating about like when he is slapping his assistant and he sees Nikki in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it's again, Cronenberg toying with this idea of, well, is Max beginning to see all women the same because of media, you know, like has Ooh. like has media and and sex and essentially the objectification of it you know, and the objectification of women in sex and violence has, has it, has it burrowed into Max's mind to a point where he now sees all women as Nikki, this, as you put it, siren who has seduced him within Videodrome, you know, it's, it's asking the question of, does it really get into our minds in such a way that we no longer see people as people, but objectify them because of media? You know, that, that's what I think really the ultimate purpose between their relationship is the show, again, to explore the idea of whether or not that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously this is Videodrome, it's a horror film. <laughs> it, it leans more towards, yes, those things are affecting Max. Again, mm-hmm. I don't think that that means that's Cronenberg saying yes, but he's exploring the idea of that. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. And I think that it ties right back into, you know, again, the thesis of Videodrome. If, you know, if your videos have a point of view, that's what makes them dangerous. And I feel like Videodrome is trying to convince Max that all women are the same. Because we also we also get that scene later on where he's whipping Nikki the television and then it turns into the other woman and he just never notices until he wakes up with a dead uh, body. I I, th- I think you're focused a little too much on the philosophy of it <laughs> having am. a philosophy idea. I don't I don't think Videodrome's trying to convince him all women are the same. Mm-hmm. Again, that that's just that's just part of the theme that Cornerberg's exploring here is what does violence and sex and media really do to us mm-hmm. um you know and that and that's one of the arguments is that like especially in horror is that it you know makes us objectify women and see them as objects right uh i would argue that men are inherently through many other forms of society <laughs> uh already pieces of shit in that way so <laughs> there's a lot of other societal pressures that make them view things that way yeah and and you know i mean you could certainly make a case for elements of that in in media and tv in in media doing that but but ultimately it's it's just asking that question you know it's not saying that videodrome has the purpose mm-hmm. of making him <laughs> see everyone like nikki uh it, it's really more focused on the idea that sex and violence are intertwined mm-hmm. you know they're they're one and the same really they they hold hands right like they are <laughs> You know, you, they're they're peanut butter and jelly. Like sex and violence are one in the same, and it, so that's that's what you're seeing all throughout with their relationship. And mm-hmm. Videodrome itself is it's treating those two as the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, just like the opening scene. Like, you know, it's not violence to eat the pizza, but it's sleaze. It's it's yeah. saying that they're always together. You know, in, in some ways, like this film is a bit of a commentary on the violence of just men. Period. Because you know. First of all, men are the only ones that we see committing violence in the film. Like, yep. you know, Nikki and the other women never actually do any of the violence themselves. They don't get to whip They're, anybody. They don't get to have any fun. Right. Nikki never gets to, like, pierce his dick, you know. And so, <laughs> Why did you go straight to um, the dick? 
but 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 it's but it's why I think the the image of the the sort of like phallic penis gun <laughs> coming out of the TV is interesting <laughs> because to me that sort of implies that men are violent and they you know again it's questioning like getting their violence and growing violent from media like it's it's not like it's not it cannot be coincidence that 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 gun coming out of this fleshy TV looks exactly like a dick. It is a penis. <laughs> and that it is itself a gun. You know, yep. to me, that is directly saying that men specifically are are inherently violent. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Vito Drome is trying to ask the question of, is it because of media or are we just like that? <laughs> it's the toxic masculinity of it all. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. This is a movie about that in a, in a way. And how it kills you. <laughs> You know, and, and I guess I guess this kind of grows into like our current modern situation, right? Which is, you know, we're right back here again asking the question: Does violence in media influence our culture? And well, Chris and I have both said no, no. <laughs> and and well, many people that are reasonable would say no. Uh, the question's coming up again, and part of the reason being that you know we now have you know, more mass shootings in this country than days in the year mm-hmm. uh, so far. And and that question started to come around again. And, you know, conservatives and and others always like to kind of come around and blame literally anything else but the problem. <laughs> and and so we're talking about this again. But, you know, but it's it's really eerie to watch Videodrome and, and the character of Mr. Oblivion, played by Jack, Jack Creeley, where... This is this is the area where I feel like Cronenberg most predicted our current future, and which is most chilling. <laughs> yeah, is you know, Oblivion has this. Well, first of all, he talks about things like, uh, like we'll all have different names. You know, like he refers to his name as his television name. I mean, that's that's exactly our avatars and screen names and all that kind of stuff. Twitter handles. Twitter handles. Uh, he lives his life through videotapes. He's been long dead, but he lives on through videotapes. Mm-hmm. We're doing the same thing with social media. You know, our social media is going to exist a lot longer than any of us are. Yep. And and so, like, as weird as that is to think, you're you're going to be alive on the internet way past the time that you actually die. <laughs> I'll be a ghost. You know, yes, on the internet. Yep. And... <laughs> And and that and that's kind of what all of this is talking about. You know, we didn't have the internet in the eighties, but this is kind of what Cronenberg is sort of predicting with the movie is that we are moving into a culture where reality will no longer be where we spend most of our time. We're going to spend mm-hmm. most of our time in technology, yep. in in you know media, in social media, all that kind of stuff. And anyway, this gets us to the point that's so chilling is when Oblivion says that the battle for the mind of North America will be fought in the video arena. I mean, how fucking true is this? You know, we're living that right now. Like we're literally living that, you know, like if any, you know, between all of the, uh, the fake news and all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. not in Trump's words, fake news, (laughs) but like the literal disinformation of things like COVID isn't real and that kind of, that kind of stuff, you know, like we, we are living in a time where media is literally battling uh, for control of your brain every single day. Yep. You know, not not necessarily through things like fiction, mm-hmm. but through you know just the way that media affects us. You know, with with because there, there's something to be said for you know both liberal and conservative media. Like I have a lot of liberal friends, so my Twitter feed's very liberal. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see a lot of conservative viewpoints. And granted, based on where the GOP is, I don't really want to. <laughs> 
But but the point is, is I'm still I'm still relatively in a bubble, yeah. just like conservatives are in a bubble, you know. So we're constantly you only see the feedback, the feedback loop that keeps reinforcing your ideas. Right. And so we do have just kind of like the film predicts different ideologies fighting for control of us yeah. <laughs> through media. And so it's just really chilling, like how this movie 40 years ago pretty I much said what was going to happen <laughs> i mean the most chilling thing for me is the the mission that's run by bianca which is you know ostensibly a homeless shelter where she believes that i am um, you know by giving the homeless people like ostensibly television time that they can they can patch back into the world's mixing board those are her well, words she treats media like religion which is ostensibly how we treat it now well i i wouldn't go as far as to say religion i mean that's close but mm. have you seen her office her her office is a church. I'm, well, again, I don't know about that, but well, her office is full of like ancient like they literature and stuff like that. I, I mean, yeah, statues. It's a cult, whatever. I mean, no. I, what I would say is that is that that's more so talking about the idea of technology as reality and reality as not. So, <laughs> you know, and and honestly, I mean, a lot of us are kind of living our lives that way, right? Like. Yeah. Um, like this, this idea of patching all these homeless people into television to reacquaint them with society. I mean, first of all, think about how fucked up that is, yep. you know, cause wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't the actual way to reacquaint them with society would be to introduce them to society. <laughs> but, but the idea here is that society now lives on television. Mm -hmm. All the information that we get is now on television. Yep. You know, that, that's the whole idea behind it is that, you know, by inserting by by showing them TV, there she's bringing them back onto the grid because that is the grid. That is where we live now is on TV. That's where all of our information's at. That's where we spend most of our time doing. You know, most yeah. of us when we're alone, what are most of us doing? Watching reading television. fan fiction. Well, you're reading <laughs> fan fiction. <laughs> but but for most of us, our 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 company when we're by ourselves is TV. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's kind of the whole idea here. And, you know, like, it's almost like sustenance. Mm -hmm. You know, they're giving them TV instead of food, these homeless people. This homeless shelter scene is important, too, because, you know, it, it furthers home that something that – it furthers home a theme in the movie that, that I think might go unnoticed the first time, which is that, you know, if you really observe the world of Videodrome, it's a very dreary place. Yes, it is. You know, like everyone is dressed for the most part in just these really drab grays and like boring colors. Like Nikki's really the only one who stands out with her wardrobe with the red. Um, and even and even hers becomes duller at a certain point. Yep. Um, I think maybe to imply that, again, she's kind of losing herself to television and this sort of drab world that doesn't really exist, but is the new reality. But it's this really just like drab, drained of life place <laughs> and, and you know that again like just feels so you know reminiscent of our of our modern world where it's like you know all of that all that fun and emotions kind of gone out of it and it's just we live in this like cold technological place now i mean i feel like especially after like being quarantined with covid and being cut off from everything there is that weird like pressure that you know it's not important what you do or what you're eating it's important that you watch the right things so you know the right words and the right terminology so that you can patch into the world's mixing board i think that it's really on point with where we ended up today and that's fucking terrifying 
Like, yeah. I don't want to become the video word made flesh. That sounds well, awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so for those who are wondering, like, what that is all about, you know. The I'm last, wondering what that's all about. The, the last thing that Max says in the movie before he offs himself, long live the new flesh. So to me, that that is really just simply the idea of living on through technology. Mm-hmm. You know, technology is your new flesh. So, like, the idea that, you know, your, your Twitter avatar that's your new body. Your, it's your MySpace <laughs> account. That's your. Nobody has a MySpace anymore, Chris. Get with it, um, <laughs> nerd. Uh, you know, so so like that. That is your body now. Mm-hmm. That's your body. That's your mind. That's your soul. Is everything that you have on the internet. That's what's going to live on after you. That's what's going to be your soul. Is what you're posting online. So so you posting on Twitter today that you just took a huge dump. That's your soul living on <laughs> 40 years from now that someone's going to be able to look back on and see, oh, that was the day that Greg took a huge jump, you know? Like it's <laughs> that that's the idea here is that is that our bodies are becoming technology. Mm-hmm. And, and and in a very real way sometimes too, you know, because our bodies actually are, you know, having technology infused into them, you know, things like pacemakers and that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. that that's the idea is that we are literally becoming that. Yeah. You know, and so when he is, you know, killing himself, that's essentially that is he's ending his, you know, flesh body. <laughs> <laughs> to become and one with his Twitter body? To become one with his tech body. Yeah. <laughs> yes, essentially. And, you know, fun fact about this is like this, you know, this ending was not originally supposed to be this way. And, and honestly, Cronenberg kind of uh juggled a lot of different ideas with what he was going to do at one point he was going to do something that sounds kind of reminiscent to like society that we talked about earlier this month where mm-hmm. uh where he wanted he was asking actors if they were if they would be comfortable with some kind of like orgy scene where they all developed like new fleshy organs that they Ugh. were like fucking with and stuff so <laughs> yeah but but he ended up thinking that would be kind of silly and scrapped it and went with this which <laughs> Which I'm glad that he did. I like this ending. And yeah. I used to not because I didn't get it. But but I'm watching it again. And, and I want to I reiterate, I don't think Cronenberg is including this in Videodrome because he believes it, but because he is exploring his feelings about it. I love this ending because, you know, we find Max, this guy who's basically lost everything, and here he is in, like, this fucking dump, you know, sitting on a dirty mattress surrounded by trash and stuff like that. Like, he's basically been destroyed by this, you know, addiction to Videodrome, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And and what he sees on TV is Nikki and Videodrome, you know, basically telling him to kill himself. Yep. And he does what TV says, mm-hmm. you know. Like, that's what that's what he's doing in the end here is he's doing exactly what television tells him. And so I almost kind of like this as Cronenberg not necessarily having a viewpoint on it, but sort of pointing out, like, when I when I look at Videodrome, I take it all in, in this modern context with what he was trying to say at the time, and I take it all as Cronenberg basically just being like, this is ridiculous. You've just watched an entire movie about a man being brainwashed by, like, some secret... <laughs> You know, tape that some guy claims was a tumor in his head. That's run by optometrists. Right. Uh, another reference to, like, opening your eyes and mm-hmm. seeing the world for what it is, right? Yep. Not to mention VR glasses, which it also predicted. Um, yep. <laughs> but, you know, I, I feel like it, it's taking all of that 
and it sort of kind of speaking to the people that are against violence and sex and media and saying, you know, look at how ridiculous this is. Like, look at like, look at what your concept of this is and look at how ridiculous this is. You know, like we're talking about a guy who is is manipulated by a fucking tumor that came (laughs) out of someone's head. You know, that's what Oblivion claims Videodrome is. is It started as a tumor in his brain. And, you know, and we've got guns that, like, shoot people full of tumors and shit, you know? Like, it's... <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. I think that a big part in, you know, in some of this argument takes away a person's free will. And I think that's, for me, what we're following with with Max is, you know, this, this loss of self as he's ostensibly ping-ponged between these two groups that are arguing between Bianca and the optometrists. But for me, honestly, for the ending, look, I don't think anything happens after he puts on the VR helmet. I think after he puts on that weird helmet, he's just sitting in a goddamn basement, living a virtual reality world until he shoots himself. I don't think anything ever happens. Nothing? (laughs) So So what do you think is actually real in this? Almost nothing. (gasps) Like, so... Look here, now. <laughs> Nikki's I mean, not real. She might not be. I mean, the the thing with the thing with Videodrome is Max starts having these visions very early on. Mm-hmm. You know, like Max Max starts having visions uh, at least as early as the first time he fucks Nikki, and if not yep. be, if not before then. Mm-hmm. And and so there's kind of two different ways to look at the movie overall. I think. And that is one, none of it's real. Mm-hmm. Like one, it's all just a hallucination. Or two, it's real, but not the way that Max is perceiving it. So, so you know, like, so basically, like, you know, you argue that when he puts on the headset, everything after that's not real. Mm-hmm. I would say, in the alternate view, it is, but not the way that Max sees it. Because the headset itself isn't real. Yeah. So the idea being there that like when Max uh, is going around killing, you know, his his people, uh-huh. he's really doing that, but he doesn't have, you know, a fleshy gun <laughs> hand or and he's not shooting people full of tumors or anything. He he's just killing them. He he's doesn't just turn turn Harlan into a bomb? Yes, he doesn't <gasps> he doesn't actually do that. And so, you know, and all of that's supposed to be, you know, the the influence of the violent media, of, of Videodrome on him, mm-hmm. is making him believe those things. You know, making him believe that Videodrome has a mission for him. Yeah. For lack of a better word of, uh, of saying it, he's just crazy. <laughs> you know, like, he's he's just lost his mind, mm-hmm. essentially. And, and so he's doing all of these things, but it has a different perception of the world around him. So, just to make clear because i'm a little buzzed i want to make sure that i actually say it uh when i when i said earlier that i think that video drum is actually very simple and really isn't as complicated as we all seem to perceive it as uh i say that not to be the pretentious asshole but i i think the way that i look at it is that you know if you take little bits and pieces of video drum and try to analyze them by themselves Mm -hmm. It's a very confusing movie. Yes. You know, I mean, we could go back and forth all day about what's real and what's not. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think if you just look at Videodrome as being what it is, which is a commentary on violence and sex and media and how that influences us, you know, I, I would really just look at Videodrome as being exactly that. Is it's just it's just one long hypnotic nightmare 
uh, about an alternate reality in perceiving things that aren't true. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you look at, so if you look at again, <laughs> hopefully I'm making sense here. If you look at again uh, the way that Max views Videodrome as the same way that we view the movie Videodrome, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really just comes down to that. Like, think of everything as metaphor. Every, every, think of think of all of Videodrome as just metaphor, and none of it's real, and it's all just kind of uh, an exploration of these different themes, right? This is why I hate Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm not smart enough for his movies. They're just, there's so many awesome layers with I, this. May, maybe a better way to look at it is video drums isn't supposed to make sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, so I can re- agree with that. The reason it's confusing is because you're trying to make sense of it. Yep. And what you have to realize with video drum is that it does not have a direct message. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a direct way for you to make sense of it. It's not supposed to. You know, literally every scene in this movie is supposed to be hallucinatory metaphor. Mm-hmm. So so the themes are what is intended to make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, so what's meant to make sense is, is yes, media is violent. Yes, uh, there, there is an influence of media on our culture, mm-hmm. just maybe not the way that some of us like to say it does. <laughs> because you'll take what you want from the movie. Yes. Yeah! <laughs> I did it. It took me the entire episode, but I got there. Yeah, but you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, not, no, I, I agree with like, you. Like, the more you try to analyze the Videodrome, the more confusing it gets. The best way to approach a Videodrome is really just to say to yourself, okay, none of it's supposed to make sense, <laughs> and everything that I'm witnessing here is just a hypnotic metaphor for the movie's theme. Yes. Does sure. that make sense? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to say yes, because we both know the answer is no. <laughs> but that's just because I'm a raccoon brain. Uh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, All right. So we do have to start wrapping up, unfortunately. Hopefully, probably not, but hopefully we've made Videodrome a little bit clearer. <laughs> if we did it, we're on point with the Videodrome message. <laughs> Nothing makes sense. Yeah, maybe. Um. <laughs> So who's your killer idiot of Videodrome? Oh, that goes for Harlan for sticking his hand into another man's uh, VCR vagina cavity. Because that just is a terrible idea. Uh, not if he thinks he's under his control. Nobody's under anybody's control. That's a terrible idea. I mean... Don't uh, video rape people. That's rude. <laughs> indeed. Uh, never okay. Not without consent. Yep. Do not show videotapes into someone's stomach vagina without consent. Um, exactly. No, my, mine's going to be Nikki for auditioning for Videodrome because who the fuck looks at Videodrome and is like, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Like, <laughs> How would you even audition for that show? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> just one of the many confusing elements of Videodrome. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, come on, Nikki. Like, you have to... You have to be able to look at that thing and be like, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to die. Yeah. Which, by the way, I want to bring this really quickly back to, because um, I forgot to mention this earlier, uh, my commentary on Max viewing women as objects and in his control is you'll notice in that moment when Nikki says that she wants to audition for Videodrome, Max is basically being like, no, you can't, don't do it, you know, whatever. Like, he's trying, he's basically trying to tell her, like, stay away from Videodrome, yep. like, don't, don't engage with it. 
And yet Max is doing exactly that and engaging with Vito Drome and, uh, you know, consuming as much of it that he, as he wants. Yeah. So he's basically trying to order Nikki around, again, looking at her. He's a giant hypocrite. Yeah, again, looking at her as, like, less than, you know, yeah. something that he can control. So. I love that her fuck you is to ruin cigarettes for him forever by putting one out on their tit. I'm not sure that that ruined it for him, but it certainly shut him up in the moment. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what about your killer death in Videodrome? I mean, also Harlan. He explodes. It's great. He does explode, <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know how he explodes, and I don't care. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to go with Barry straight up getting tumor gun. gun tumor, tumor shot? Tumor shot. I don't even know what to call it. Um, yeah, no, I'm going to go with it because, I mean, for God's sakes, like, the guy literally becomes a, a mass of exploding tumors, and it's Ugh. the one of the most horrifying things I think anyone had ever seen by 1983 in film. Like, that is, and he's also on the microphone, so the entire time while um, while Max is running away, you can hear him just turn into a tumor monster. Yes, it's very disturbing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and again, I love the effects from Baker and his team. Like, it is bloody, it's gross, and it's, great. it's just so perfect. And again, just like a nice fun little commentary on the idea that television is full of radiation like gives you tumors like, yep. <laughs> which who knows maybe it does i don't know probably not um what about your killer mvp so obviously that goes to friday's opening video of course Cause, yeah because it is weirdly my favorite part of this film it perfectly sets up this movie and if i had to choose between friday and nikki i would choose friday because i love her i love her matthew she is great. Um, we'll leave you for Friday. <laughs> she is the perfect woman. Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to give mine to a random one. So, you know, I, I think that the fair one for sure is Rick Baker's effects team. You know, Obviously. I mean, whenever we talk about Videodrome, like a lot of people like to reference the effects and they are incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think on on another look, you know, aside from the obvious of Cronenberg himself, he's a fucking genius. Um I think I think I want to give it to Howard Shore's score for this because music nerd. <laughs> yes, uh, because I think that you know, there's something about his score that brings sort of a legitimacy to this bizarre concept where, you know, if we look at Videodrome as being this thing that hypnotizes and alters your mind, Howard Shore's score really is affecting in that sense because you almost feel like the score itself is kind of doing the same thing to you. You know, from, from the, from the moment the film opens with the universal logo and you begin to hear Shore's score, you're, you're immediately like unnerved, mm -hmm. you know? And that's something that continues all throughout is this just really unnerving, ominous tone. And it almost feels like Videodrome kind of, seeping into you and like becoming part of your airspace and in, in like uh, you know i love that so much no you're absolutely right i'm not arguing with you yeah, that's a perfect explanation yeah and i'm saying airspace because of you know like airwaves and video waves and all that yeah. kind of stuff like it feels like it's it's becoming like part of your surroundings in a sense and so like when you take the concept of videodrome like his score just really hammers home that whole concept of media brainwashing you where it really feels like Videodrome itself, the movie, is having that same effect on you. So <laughs> Yeah. And I think a lot of that's because because of Shore's uh soundtrack. So um so anyway, okay, so 
uh, on Twitter every week. We, all, we always like to put up a poll, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film, what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think our audience feel on Videodrome? It's Cronenberg. Everybody loves Cronenberg, except for me. Well, not everybody loves Cronenberg, <laughs> and not as many as you would think with Videodrome. So uh, love it got, did get 54%, so it still wins. Okay. Uh, it's fine got 24.7%. Don't like it got 4.7%, and a surprising 16.7% said never seen it. So I was actually kind of surprised by this poll because I assumed most people really loved Videodrome. So I'm kind of surprised that only half voted that way. And not as surprised by the don't like it, but also surprised that 16.7% have not seen it. Like this is like quintessential Cronenberg of one of the most famous horror directors of all time. But you have to and like body horror to want to watch Cronenberg. Yeah, but a lot of horror fans aren't aren't like you where they're like, <laughs> I'm never watching any body horror. Like they'll still they'll still try it even if it's not their favorite thing, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Um, so I am kind of surprised that Videodrome does not seem to have the same audience that it used to. So, so, uh, so want want that. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe it's because it is so cerebral. I don't know, but <laughs> uh, but I think it's a great movie. So you all that have ha- that haven't seen it, you should go check it out. But anyway, uh, we always like to get comments from you all as well. So these are all from Twitter. Uh, first up is. At Nezco, so that's N-E-Z-Z-K-O. And uh, they have a podcast with my buddy Jay on the Bloody Discussing Network, the Safe Room Podcast. You check them out. Uh, but they say, the fun thing about Videodrome is that the worse James Wood has become as a person, the more effective his performance is in this. <laughs> that is very fair. If he's a terrible person in real life, it's more fun to watch me a terrible person. In- well, it feels more real. Yeah. You know, more I, accurate. I, I think that's what Nesco is getting at, is mm-hmm. that it feels more natural to see Woods as this very awful person, Max, because he is. He's an awful character. You're not you're not supposed to root for Max necessarily. No, so. no one roots for Max. <laughs> uh, so so I can definitely agree with that, that it just it, it brings a it brings a further reality <laughs> to Videodrome, you know, to see Woods as Max and equate them to it as the same person. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, thank you at Nezco for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Dami in LA. So that's D-O-M-M-Y-I-N-L-A. And they say, okay, okay. Just saw this in a theater. It's truly a spectacle, like a mind-bending nightmare. I forgot how unsettling it is, especially in a big, dark, empty theater. Holy shit. I can't imagine watching this movie in the theater. It would be so much creepier. I don't think I have seen this in a theater, and I really want to because... You're going alone. Okay, because... <laughs> well, fine, even better. Um, Because, yeah, no, I, I agree with Dami here that, you know, this movie, it really is an unnerving nightmare. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's... I think it's Cronenberg's most effective... Most effective film in the way that it unsettles. You know, like, he has better movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like I like... Like, The Brood is my favorite. I think The Fly is his most uh, appealing you know, but <laughs> but but Videodrome, I think, is one that just like perhaps is his most unsettling film and just how much it really makes you question about who you are and it, the impact of the media you consume on yourself. Yeah. You know what what the effect of that is, if any. Uh, so so anyway, thank you at Damien L.A. for the comment. Appreciate it. 
Uh, next up is a comment from at M Sawzall. So that's M-S-A-W-Z-A-L-L. And they say, used to love it until James Woods went all James Woods on us. <laughs> Same thing with vampires. Never meet your heroes. <laughs> yeah, it really fucking sucks when, you know, an actor or a creator behind something ends up being like a total piece of trash. But like we were saying before, sometimes that lends a whole new air of authenticity to a movie. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is an area that's tough uh, because, you know, there are certain films that I love where the people behind them are awful. Yep. <laughs> uh, and and that's very unfortunate, you know, because it it's a difficult I, I, it's a difficult thing where I don't think there's a right or wrong way to approach it in that, you know, I don't blame anyone for no longer liking a film mm-hmm. because of someone involved with it. And I honestly don't blame anyone for still liking a film because of someone involved with it. Because I think that, you know, the way that I personally approach it is that when, when the, when these things leave the filmmaker's hands or leave the artist's hands or leave the writer's hands, when they leave that and they become public consumption, Mm -hmm. I think at that point, it's in our hands. Yeah. You know, I think at that point it becomes what we want out of it. And so, you know, like I think a perfect example is, uh, HP Lovecraft was a fucking <laughs> awful racist. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Uh, and I would have hated him personally in real life, but I can't deny the impact that his writing has had on me and many other, you know, mm-hmm. horror writers. And so, you know, and, and I appreciate that. And I still appreciate his ideas regardless of the fact that I fucking hate him as a person. Uh, so so I think that, you know, to me, it sucks. It is more difficult to watch something like Vampires in Videodrome and think that James Wood's an asshole. I would also say that don't let that motherfucker ruin it for you. Like if you Don't really, let him win. Like, if you really love Videodrome and everything else outside of James Wood's, the person... You know, don't don't let them ruin this thing for you. Like it, make it for you what you want it to be. So, yeah. uh, so with that, so you know, hopefully that makes sense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but any, but regardless, thank you, M Sawzall, for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at NW Shotgun. So that's NW Shotgun, and they say a masterful fever dream roller coaster ride. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree. Correct. Yeah, no, no notes. It's, <laughs> no it, notes. It, it's all of those things. It, it is a masterpiece. It, it is a fever dream. It is one hell of a fever dream nightmare. And again, I think that's how you have to approach Videodrome. Don't try to make sense of it. Nope. Nightmares don't make sense. Just, you know, it's it's Buckle more of, it's more about the feeling that it gives you. Yep. So <laughs> uh, so thank you at NW Shotgun for the comment. Appreciate it. And then lastly is a comment from at Mr. Phil Armitage. So that's M R P H I L. A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. And they say, really interesting in that Cronenberg was flat out commentating on the possible negative effects of violence in movies during a time when most horror filmmakers and fans were actively denying that it could be a thing. Look, I think that it's smart. I always like when we do get films like this that looks at the criticism you know, that happens towards our media and examines it. It's what we've been talking about this entire time. It's really cool seeing Cronenberg it's really cool seeing Cronenberg, you know, kind of look inwards about this whole debate. Because, mm. yeah, violence in media does not affect shit all unless you want it to. No, I do agree that it's really interesting. And, and look, this is a lot of what I love about Cronenberg is that Cronenberg is an inward-looking filmmaker. You know, like, he he really puts himself 
on the screen. You know, everything like everything that you watch from Cronenberg is very personal. Yeah. You know, he's he's often dealing with existential crises, you know, uh, and, and and doing it, you know, with with small little indie films uh, to, to big mainstream things like The Fly, where The Fly is all about, you know, the fear of aging and, and that kind of thing and your and your own mortality. So, like, Kornberg is always doing really interesting stuff like that. He's never just focused on entertainment. He's focused on really exploring these questions and these fears and stuff like that. And so I do, while I don't agree with the idea that violence in media makes us violent, I do really appreciate Cronenberg as a horror filmmaker actually taking the time to explore that idea and, and put it on screen for himself, you know, to kind of talk about that. Yeah. Uh, when a lot of other filmmakers would just turn their heads away and be like, I'm not even going to touch that. Cronenberg was actually out there saying, well, what if, you know, let, let's actually like explore that through a film. So again, I'm not really sure what his conclusion is on this, <laughs> but I do think that it's, I do think that it's great that he as a horror filmmaker actually went out and did that, you Takes know. Takes balls. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's why the film initially didn't do well is people weren't ready for, horror fans maybe weren't ready to actually talk about that mm -hmm. and the general audience maybe didn't want to participate in that so <laughs> you know so in on, on both ends people just weren't really ready for this conversation anyway thank you at mr phil armitage for the comment appreciate it and then so we also have our releases for the week uh some fun stuff this week for you to check out first up is a film called cyst which is coming to vod on the 21st and this is basically a sort of throwback to just like really ridiculous you know campy b-movie monster movies mm. and it's basically about like a fucking uh giant cyst that becomes like a fucking monster in a in a lab uh it's a really <laughs> oh yeah it's it's a really fun movie it's very gross it's full of a bunch of nasty practical effects awesome. uh but i but i had a blast watching this a really good time so check that out on vod on the 21st uh Next is a film called Dawn Breaks Behind the Eyes, and this is coming to VOD on the 24th. And this one is for, for you more uh, artsy <laughs> film lovers, um, because this one's basically kind of a homage to, in my opinion, like really all of the themes of like gothic uh, 70s horror movies, you know, so it touches on like vampires and like fever dreams and and cults and just like all kinds of things and, and the film itself is basically about this film crew making a movie and finding themselves kind of like in their own sort of supernatural experience so like it's it's kind of difficult awesome. to it's kind of difficult to, to explain but it's another one of those sort of like fever dream movies that has a whole lot of just like really beautiful <laughs> Uh, gothic imagery in it so if you're into that kind of stuff definitely check it out uh, and then lastly is a film called The Black Phone and this comes to theaters on the 24th from the creators behind the film Sinister uh, based on Joe Hill's story uh, the son of Stephen King and it, you know this is basically about a kid kidnapped by a serial killer who murders children and he ends up in this basement with a black phone where the ghosts of the previous victims are sort of like in contact with him and trying to help him escape. So, nope. uh, so this, this sounds super cool. I have not yet seen this one, uh, but we'll actually be seeing it the day after we're recording this. So 
you should be able to find reviews for all of these on killerhorkerate.com by the time you're listening to this. And so anyway, those were our releases for the week. So hopefully there's something there that you're excited to check out. Definitely a little something for everybody. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the film The Ruins, <laughs> which is the one about the teenagers or the college kids who are trapped on a pyramid with living plants that are invading their bodies. So <laughs> I'm scared. Have you seen this one? I forget. I have not. I have not seen. I don't think any of the films we watched <coughs> this month. Okay, well, The Ruins is fantastic, uh, but it's definitely going to make your skin crawl. So. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so that is streaming on HBO Max at the time of recording this. You can check it out there. Do your homework there. Uh, otherwise, this could do it for us on Videodrome. Hopefully, we got to enough of what's going on in this movie. I don't know. It's a complicated movie. We yep. talked about what we could. So. It's a tough one. Uh, but hopefully, you enjoy that. So, And hopefully, there were no audio issues. Uh, but so that's going to do it for us on Videodrome. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>